Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. This is Solvay Brown, and I am so excited to have Krish Ramakrishnan as my guest today. Krish and I are going to talk about his leadership process for creating a work environment where people think for themselves, freely share ideas and opinions, collaborate and innovate. He will also walk us through his suggestions for addressing conflict when it arises. Before we begin our conversation, here is some background information on Krish. Krish Ramakrishnan's career spans three continents, nearly four decades, multiple industry verticals, and a myriad of roles. His career philosophy is that people and teams make things happen. His experience includes long stints at a steel plant, a brewery, GE Aircraft Engines, Detroit Edison Nuclear Power Plant, the Hartford Insurance, NASD, and SunTrust Bank. He is currently the VP of Client Engagement at FICO. Chris lives in Atlanta with his wife, Mona, and they have two grown children. Chris recently became a mentor for Mentium. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Solvay. It's great to be here, and I am really happy that I am part of the Mentium family as part as a mentor. It's, 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 it's a great honor to be part of the family. Well, we are so happy that you are part of the Mentium family. So, Krish, you have led several organizations through significant change. You lead with energy and passion, and you build great teams. Can you tell me about your leadership style and how it has evolved over your career? Sure. This is, this is a long story, but I have to tell you a story to get you going. But I think as you outlined, I am a firm believer it's people and teams that make the difference with anything and everything that you do. With that in mind, I think it's something that this is something I learned very, very early in life. And it's an experience I've shared with some of your Mentium colleagues, but I, I think it is a great story because that framed my career path in so many different ways. I go back to the early 80s. I had just graduated from uh, college. I had come out of two premier schools, finished my master's in economics, and I was hired by the steel plant. And, uh, you know, I thought I was God's gift to mankind. I could do no wrong. This is such a great uh, place to be in. And I, I'm a management training, brimming with confidence and everything else. Uh, well, as part of my job rotation, I got assigned to the managing director's office. And what could be even better now, here's a kid who's 23 years old running around in the managing director's office you've got all the limelight you've got the presence etc 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 you name it right and i have to tell you a little bit of the background of this managing director he was a phenomenal man uh, he was a turnaround artist so he would take sick companies and he would turn them around and he would get them going again and he he actually had this philosophy of morale is to all other factors in a ratio of four is to one. So essentially saying that if your morale of your people are high, then obviously you can get a hell of a lot of things done and very effectively. Well, so, you know, the days roll on, I'm in a secretariat. He had this very open door philosophy. And every Thursday he used to keep his afternoons free where any of the blue collared workers could come in and ask him their questions, concerns and everything else. And back in the day, now you're talking early 80s, 
there wasn't access to money to these people. There wasn't, you know, any, and there were loan sharks and everything else. So most of the people who were coming in were people who would come in asking for, hey, I want a loan for my daughter's marriage, or I need to send money because the farm uh, did not produce much and my parents need the money, et cetera. Well, my job was to make sure that he would execute this as petty cash orders and I'd run off to the CFO and get the money and get it all taken care of. Well, days go by and I'm sitting in his office and one fine day, this gentleman walks in over there and I'm you know, with my notepad, writing notes and everything else. And he looks at me and he says, Krish. I said, yes, sir. Do you recognize this man? So I looked at him and I said, no, sir. He says, take a look at him again. No recollection, absolutely. At which point in time he looked at me and he said, his name is so-and-so. He's here today to come back and repay a loan that you orchestrated on my behalf because his daughter was getting married. He was here five months ago. He invited you to his daughter's wedding and you didn't show up. I was there, I looked for you. And he said, you are somebody who is never ever going to succeed in life if you do not remember the names of the people who work for you. You know how small I felt at that point in time, right in front of that person. This is, this, this is the life lesson, right? Where it's a humbling experience because it's such a valuable lesson to say. He, and it wasn't fake because I've seen this man in action. If there were corporate parties, he would know the bearers, the butlers, their families, their children. He would go, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with them and talk to them and shoot the breeze. And everybody treated him like God. So it wasn't a make, made up kind of a persona or any such thing. He believed and he lived that. And he taught me that valuable lesson. So I have not forgotten names of people. I still stay in touch with the people who I've worked with for the last 40 years. It's something that I think just starts to say, yes, it's, it's not you. It's not about you. It's the people who are doing the work for you. Wow, Krish, that is an amazing story. You can't, you all can't see me. I'm just sitting here with my mouth open, leaning forward. I'm like, yeah, talk about feeling humbled. But then what a powerful example that 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 managing director lived of the importance of knowing everyone. And obviously you've never forgotten it and have lived by that yourself, you know, for the last 40 years. But wow, that is a great story. Krish, one of the things I've heard you talk about is that you like to encourage people to think versus telling them what to do. So how do you do this and why is this important to you? So it comes down to two things, ownership and accountability. And how do you build that into people? If you just bark orders at somebody, they'll do it. They may do it because you outrank them. They may do it because they weren't given a voice to talk about it or give their thought process. They just execute on that. And sometimes they even, you know, there's something's lost in translation. So you never get the results that you actually ever want. So how do you go around and try and build this ownership and accountability into people? The, the basic, it's one of the most basic things, actually, and most people miss it, right? What is it that you're trying to do and why is it important? 
and this can be at any level, right? Whether it's a project that you're doing, whether it's a department you're running, whether it is an organization that you're running, or shoot, even the nation, you know, what are we doing? It's like, it's the purpose, it's the mission, it is everything that goes into that. And the moment you start to talk to people about the importance of what they are involved in, you actually start to get their thought process into this mix. So people think, but you have to give them the chance. You have to give them the opportunity. And the only way you can do that is being inclusive in this whole exercise. And it's worked very well for me. I have to say that, uh, I mean, and there are different levels and different projects demand different things, different uh, types of missions demand different things. Each one is different. So play, play it, don't, there's no, you know, playbook which says here, these are the 10 things you do every time. You have to assess what you're doing. Yeah, can you talk more about that of how you create a safe zone for people to be able to share their ideas and come up with the solutions that they've been thinking about and feel comfortable to talk about them? Sure, so, I, so I, we talked about purpose as the first thing, right? What is it that I'm doing? But make that something a little bigger in terms of what are the objectives that you're trying to do and what are the measures? So what does success look like? Now that doesn't connect anybody emotionally to something. It's just a big statement which says, here are my objectives, here's the mission. In order to bring that level of a safe zone, there is, it takes time. This is, there's no magic bullet for this. People need to either know you by reputation or if you're, or they're brand new on your project, they need to see your behaviors, number one. They need to see that even if you say, hey, this is a safe zone, speak freely, they have to only uh, feel comfortable over a period of time. This doesn't happen overnight. They have to see that you're fair. They have to see that when you, when you say that, you mean it in terms of if somebody says something, you just don't go attacking them or you don't go uh, challenging them on everything, but you're allowing them to express their ideas freely. And the moment they see that behavior on, in a consistent manner, it's not just a one day thing, in, and they will start to gradually open up. That's one part of it. The second part of it is there are always going to be groups where you'll always have loud voices who, who dominate. You have to turn around and be able to facilitate sessions where you bring the voices that are not heard into the conversation. So you, you should just pass the baton and saying, you know what, what do you think? What do you think? And the, the other rule that I'd always establish what he said or what she said is not an acceptable answer. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's always an easy one or a cop out for people who don't want to speak up or are shy or anything else. So they had to start to speak. And it, this became a deliberate exercise. So every team that I've had, which I've managed as a boss or I've had them as a part of a department or anything else. This was a deliberate exercise. We would do this every two weeks, every uh, month we would have an offsite and we'd keep doing this. I have to share two stories and I always used to bring case studies to these sessions and case studies solidify. So when you start to look at other companies that have done it and you say, hey, if these guys can do it. What do you take away from it, right? And so two case studies that I think I've used quite often in the past. The first one is Google. When you, when you talk, 
innovation and a culture of innovation and collaboration and creating safe zones. I mean, starting from Larry Page down the, the, uh, the tree, they hire people who, who do this. They allow the, uh, uh, everybody to challenge each other. They create this culture of saying, you know what, let's create, come up with ideas. And they have this 10X philosophy and 10X really means whatever you're doing should be 10 times better, not 10%, 10 times better than what the, uh, what your current, what the current thing is. So out of the box thinking is encouraged. They, 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 they reward, they incentivize. So Google's case study is a fantastic one. Uh, anybody can, you know, Google it and you will find <laughs> how Google uses their strategy. Uh, but there is a different one that is a case study, which is building an emotional connection. And unless you're emotionally invested in some of these things, some things just don't work, right? So here's the second case study. In 2008, uh, there was a terrorist attack in Mumbai. And this was, you know, across the board that the, the uh, CNN and every other agency here were flashing how that hotel was burning. It's actually been made into a movie as well. It's called uh, Mumbai Hotel, I believe. Uh, anyway, I, 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 I kind of look at that and there's a Harvard business case on this, which says what out of the 30 odd people who died, saving 1500 people, a third of them were the hotel employees. Now, why is this story important? Why is this meaningful? The backdrop to this whole thing is the hotel employees showed courage, integrity, grit in the face of death where they put the customer first and in spite of their lives being threatened where they could have escaped, they actually helped the tourists and the guests escape because they were that integrity was built in that. Now there's a it's a great case study. I would encourage readers uh, to go in and study as to what exactly it was. But at the end of the day, it was value based hiring. Their values were very simply put into uh, the values that were inculcated in these people were they had tremendous respect and had a huge cultural background in serving others and making sure that the customers were always delighted. And they didn't hire people who were top of the class. They didn't hire people who were, you know, MBA graduates from premier schools or any such thing. They went into the hinterlands. They went into the hinterlands and they found people who actually were you know, they'd talk to their school principals, they'd talk to their teachers, they'd say, how respectful is he? How, how sincere is he? What attitude does he come and show up with? And that mattered more in the hiring process, which then was reinforced with constant training, which then made them people who actually were connected at a very emotional level. They did not let the guests suffer. I mean, you, you think about some of these case studies and you say, now, not everything is going to happen in that, right? Not, not every organization is going to be geared along those lines. But trying to build an emotional connection is just as critical because now you're personally vested, you're personally connected at an emotional level, and then you start to bring the best into the picture. Yeah, those are amazing case studies. And especially that second one, just showing, you know, the 
you know, that the culture really drove the people to put, put literally put their life on the line for their workplace. And I mean, that, that is just incredibly, incredibly powerful. Wow. So yeah, that really speaks to the importance of a culture. It speaks to the importance of people being emotionally invested and that you as a leader are responsible for driving that and creating that space and, and getting people to be heard, getting their ideas to be heard and having people take that ownership and accountability for everything. So Krish, one of the things you're also really good at is conflict management. So I'm sure that in these situations where you're trying to get people to bring their ideas to the table, um, you know, you talked about the Google example where there's, there can be different opinions, there can be conflict that arises. So how do you address conflict when it arises? It's, uh, it's been a challenge. I have to admit that this is, this is not an easy thing, right? I think in my early days, I avoided conflict. If there was a noisy person on the team or somebody who was draining the energy, the natural tendency is to just try to sidestep, ignore whatever else you can to think that it'll go. I think that's the worst strategy that one can apply. And it is not productive in any form or fashion. So conflict needs to be nipped at the bud. And I, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples on this. So if, if, I, if I look at a team and there is one person who is not letting the team work well together and they are dominant, you actually have to turn around and coach them, talk to them, be direct with them, give them feedback in a one-on-one -on -one setting and see if they would change. Sometimes it is important to weed them out. And it's a tough choice, but you have to because, you know, there's also this notion of what a star, what a jerk. <laughs> you don't need a star who's a jerk because they can bring the team down in its collective whole, right? So, yes, I, I, I mean, I, I, there are times when you say this person should be put into something else, an individual contributor role, or if they're not a fit for the organization, they don't belong. Now, that's a drastic measure. Let's talk about something a little more on the, how do you coach and get people in a conversation? So the first thing is, is it that the person is just disrespectful, doesn't hear the others, is just wanting to showcase his or her idea and it's their way or the highway? I think you have to start understanding the psyche of this individual that is there. Once you get to know where they're coming from, you can actually handle that problem in a much, much, much better way, right? But Never avoid the conflict because all that will happen is the, the other people on the team will just turn around saying, he's just not going to do anything about it. Why bother, right? So then you have lost the rest of the team and you don't have a voice. Now, here's another dimension to this. Conflict is not always bad. And conflict at times is important to introduce into a meeting as well. So you don't just let conflict be something which is a bad thing. If you want ideas from people, if you want the, uh, to the previous question of how do you make them think, professional disagreement is something which I have always encouraged. It cannot be personal. It cannot be pointed at an individual. You cannot aim it at anybody, but you can certainly turn around and challenge ideas to raise the level of thinking. So if everybody is you know, just cooperative, you. You, you, you can be rest assured you didn't get the best output. 
unless you know right off the bat it was a great idea, but chances are it's not. So introduce that conflict too and manage it and facilitate it. Don't, don't let it fester. Thank you for that reminder that conflict isn't always easy for people. So I appreciated that you said you you become very great at conflict management and conflict resolution, but it was just nice to hear that in the beginning, that was difficult for you too, because I think so many people feel that like you just want to avoid it. So then going on to understand the root of conflict and try to, to get some of those, and then just shifting your mindset to the idea that conflict isn't necessarily bad. It's not inherently bad. It's also can be really productive and a really great way to get different ideas out. And it's just learning to manage that it doesn't become personal, that it's just about the different ideas. So that is a great example. So from your experience of mentoring, what impact have you seen mentoring to have on people? So mentoring is probably, in my opinion, something that a lot of organizations don't do. And personally, it is a, it is, you, you don't bring out the best in people if you don't mentor and coach them. And it shouldn't just be executive coaching. It shouldn't be just at senior levels to say, is this person somebody who can be groomed into CIO, CEO, CFO, or uh, the board or whatever else, right? They all have coaches. They all have career coaches. And it's a great thing that organizations do invest at that level. But at junior levels of the organization, you are subject to your manager who does an annual review and you get the good, the bad, the ugly, and, you know, very subjective. There is absolutely no science to it. And uh, you're at the whim of an individual who may like you or may dislike you and just, you know, give you your feedback based on that. Mentoring is such an important concept in, in, in and of itself. All of us need mentors. All of us need mentors all the time because you need to have a reflection of uh, different things, where you are in your journey, what exactly is the journey. And everything is not just about career development. Mentoring can be in so many facets of, it's, it's, it's almost like, what do you want? What, what are you trying to achieve? And each person is so different. Each person's objectives are so different. Each person's goals are different. Each person's backgrounds are different. So there's no standard, here are your 10 commandments, go forth, right? Doesn't work that way which then makes that journey that much more powerful to say, A, somebody needs to be able to help you along your journey. And it's always good to bounce ideas off of somebody. It's not, it's not a one-way street. It's a communication with somebody to say, hey, let's, let's throw this at you and see if you've got something that you would do, you would do differently, or you'd suggest as alternatives, or hey, as a mentor will also say, I don't know how to deal with a situation because I haven't experienced that, or I don't have any words that can explain how to approach it, but let's try and figure out one, two, three, four, five, right? It's okay. I think the, those are all, vulnerability is a very, very common thing. Everybody's vulnerable. Everybody has good days, bad days. And so when you get into doubt, a mentor is the right person. So why is, back to your question of, I love being a mentor, but I'm also being mentored along the way. And to me, it's a great way to partner and understand different perspectives and goals and objectives. And if we can actually have a trusted relationship, 
where you are truly working at uh, at, at, at a level, it, that mentorship can actually be such a lifelong gift. So the boss that I started out this conversation with, he remained my mentor till he passed away. And uh, so many lessons, so many lessons. Yeah, and I've heard that from so many mentors, that, that idea that it is definitely a two-way relationship and that every mentoring partnership is unique and that the mentors often say that they learn as much from the mentees as the mentees learn from them. So that is a great perspective. And that is so neat that that, that managing partner was your mentor for as long as he was living for your career. Right. So we have time for three final questions. The first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success? Oh, uh, I'm a nerd. I read and I read and I read. I have half a leg in academia. So half my classmates are professors all over the US. I stay in touch with what they're doing, uh, the papers they publish and everything else. And uh, the other half of it is I try to practice some of that stuff because reading is one thing, trying to incorporate that into some level of thinking. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it's just an academic exercise, but I think they work wonders. I, I think keep learning. Yeah, that is a great habit. I hear that echoed in, from so many senior leaders that just that importance of reading. And I like your addition of it's also important to practice some of the things that you're learning in that reading. Yeah, sometimes that's probably the more challenging part of it. Krish, what would your advice be to up and coming leaders? Earn your stripes. Leadership is something which is not bestowed upon anybody. You have to be in a position where you are respected, you are regarded as somebody who can deliver. And, you know, there are so many different industries, different types of leadership skills, et cetera, et cetera. But in every one of them, you will always find that leaders earn their stripes. People want to follow them, not because they have to, but they do truly are inspired by them. And that does not come by accident. So to anybody who is an aspiring leader, your title doesn't entitle you to become a leader. You become a leader when your team wants to follow you. So earn your stripes and you've got to work at it every day. That is, that is great advice. And then Krish, our final question is, do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? You know, I wish I could be very profound with something like that. And I don't think I'm blessed enough to, to say something very profound. But here is the one thing I will say. Curiosity. You cannot ever give up on that curiosity of yours because there is never an end to that. So keep digging, keep asking, keep learning. That's what keeps me going. And you know what? Uh, done it for 40 years. I'll probably do it for the next 40 that is great. That curiosity, yeah, that, that drives everything. Well, Krish, thank you so much for being my guest today. I love the story you started out with where you learned at a very young age the importance of knowing everyone who works for you and, and valuing and respecting everyone that you interacted with. Appreciate your great advice on leadership and the importance of encouraging people to take ownership and accountability and then also creating a safe space where people can learn to think for themselves and talk about their ideas and 
I share ideas freely with each other. And then also great advice that you have to earn your stripes as a leader. And it sounds like you've done that throughout your career of building trust, showing up every day and, you know, being, you know, showing people who you really are. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and interesting questions, I must say. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Mentium Matters podcast. We have many great episodes lined up. I look forward to having you all back next time.